If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. For all new and current subscribers, welcome back to Resilient Love. Resilient is being able to overcome difficult situations. This podcast is about love, love, tips tips on on life, life, and how to level up in your business. Let's Let's get get started started on on the journey. journey. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to another episode of Resilient Love. So what are we talking about today, Q? Today. (laughs) Today is going to be a very interesting day. Um, We'll be talking with Mr. Colin C. Thompson of China. He he lives in China. China. Lives in China. But he (laughs) is an entrepreneur, a business owner, a father, and a husband. And he has overcome hardships through constant personal development, and it led him to overcome and excel and create his own life coaching business. So we're going to be talking to him about that, as well as the current state of racial harmony in China and the United States. So this is going to be a great, great topic. But to get before we get into all of our topic and our juicy details, we want Mr. Thompson to give us his background. So tell us about yourself, sir. All right, Mr. Thompson, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Brianna Quinn, I got to say, man, this is going to be a great session. Um, This is my uh, first podcast being interviewed by a couple. And I think now with the the state of things taking place in the U.S., I'm very happy to be talking to a black couple because we're going to get some juice and we're going to talk about a lot of topics today. So um, as you mentioned, my name is Colin Thompson. I am of my parents. I can't say I'm of China. I am in China. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am a Canadian Jamaican. Um, I, okay. my, family, my family is Jamaican. I was born in Toronto, Canada. Um, I call myself a lifelong immigrant. Uh, reason being my parents immigrated from Jamaica to Canada. I came out in Canada. We continued our immigration lifestyle. Uh, we immigrated from uh, Canada to the U.S. I spent the vast majority of my life in the U.S., in Louisville, Kentucky, Toronto to Louisville, which was quite a wake-up call. And then, thank goodness, I went from Louisville to D.C., dark country, and had a tremendous, tremendous experience in D.C. And then I went from D.C. to a couple, couple years in upstate New York, and then finally here to China in 2008. So I've been here in China for approximately 12, 12 years. And it has been such a breath of fresh air, especially due to the situation that we have in the U.S. <laughs> right. <laughs> we know is not has not, is not three weeks old, right? We know this has been something for a long time. So um, I look forward to sharing with you guys um, just my the contrast, emotions, the feelings, and for living in different countries and how different countries treat black people and how black people. Uh, interact in those different regions as well. Yes. So I'll jump right in. Our, our next our question, next question is, 
what led your big move to China and what challenges did you face adapting to that culture? Well, that's a great question. And I have to go back a little bit. Uh, as China's my, la my last move, but I got to explain the, the first move. When I was eight years old, uh, well, almost eight years old, 1980, we moved from Toronto to Louisville, Kentucky. My parents were uh, Jamaican. Now, if you guys recall 1980 or the mid-80s in North Carolina, maybe there weren't many Jamaicans back then. Uh, same thing in Louisville. Ooh. So we, we get into Louisville, my parents talking Jamaican, me talking Canadian. They say, these guys are strange. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they haven't seen that. So, you know, in Canada, it was very culturally diverse. My neighbors were all, all shades, all beautiful shades of, from, from white to, to black and everything in between. You never, I never knew I was black. I knew I was black, but I never felt I was black. Mm. Literally, the very first day we moved to the United States, my father sat down. I have two older brothers and three older sisters. He sat us all down and gave us that speech. I'm quite sure you give your kids. These neighborhoods don't go to. Um, if you ever talk to policemen, here's how you here's how you carry yourself. Just giving us the whole whole thing. Right. And also not being able to communicate freely with our white neighbors. Ooh. Just not friendly. Just not friendly. Um, but friendly with each, with each other, which is kind of odd. So that's when I first felt that there's something different in this country. And that's when I first felt like, okay, uh, people of different colors don't really interact with each other as they did back in Canada. Right. Okay. Wow. Right. So, so I felt that very from a, from a very young age. And, and being black, but not being African-American was also very different because I think being African-American, you're, you know, each generation is, is coming from that slavery mentality to a certain extent where you're told not to do, and you, you, you already know how to, how to play the game, so to speak, how, how to deal with hidden racism, how to deal with overt racism. Coming from, coming from out the country, we didn't know that. <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. So you make some mistakes and, and you, you question certain things. But my father always told us, we're citizens of the world. Make sure you, you learn more about the world and different cultures. So I already had different, two different views of, 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 of cultural integration. Um, but, you know, I, I, in Louisville is, is a very, it's not south, mm -hmm. but it's, um, it's right there at that border. It's right, right. There. exactly, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, 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 you know, luckily, I, I left and went to Howard University in Washington, D.C. for college. And Howard, HBCU, Historically yes. Black College University. And one of the first things I, I learned was, wow, black people can be class president, class secretary, treasurer, everything. Because in high school, we had one black guy who could do it, right? <laughs> then I one black guy to do it, and that's it. But in Howard, every, every, every position was black. Exactly. Was black. I really did not know it could happen. So wow, this, this is wonderful. So, so long story short, at Howard, two things. You learn knowledge yourself, and you learn how to have responsibility and put yourself in positions of influence. So um, my mother calls it, you know, getting racist at Howard. And we said, no, we're not getting racist. We just now see the truth. So going back to Louisville was, was, was more difficult because you go back down there, and you're not jiving with what you're seeing. 
You know, we're like, no, no, I know better now. Exactly. So, yeah. So luckily, I, I did okay in school and studied and graduated and went to work for a consulting company, Ernst & Young, for a number of years. Uh, very, very good opportunity. Um, of course, I was the only black on my team, which is normal. Right. Uh, but but we've been conditioned um, to deal with that, to just, just, just roll with it. So long story short, after working, working for, worked for Ernst & Young, I, I worked in a few places for a number of years and came back to Howard University as an employee. Okay. Yes, very proud of that. And how yeah, has, me too. I'm an HBCU grad, North Carolina Central. Oh, yeah. I think we could kick y'all's butt a few times. <laughs> hey, hey, it's not that episode. <laughs> Eagle Pride. Yeah, I think I think our band did actually. Um, <laughs> so um, so I came back to have as, as an employee, and they have this beautiful thing called tuition remission, where after you worked it for a year, you get steep discounts on tuition. So I re-enrolled and got my MBA there, double MBA in e-commerce and supply chain management, Ooh. which led me then to interview with IBM, and IBM, um, a very very great company. And they gave me the opportunity to work overseas. So I got actually got to China through working with IBM. I was in a two-year managerial training program. The first three uh, rotations were in Poughkeepsie, New York. I'm not sure if you guys know about Poughkeepsie, New York, but going from Washington, D.C., which is majority black, and Peachy County in Maryland, mm-hmm. to Poughkeepsie, New York, is like going to a town that's 95% Italian, um, oh. yeah. So it, it was it was my first my first um, my my first after being what I call woke at Howard. It was very <laughs> tough, very yeah. tough, very tough. Um, but Howard always also teaches you how to deal in those, in those situations. So it was tough. It was boring, but I was able to work there. But luckily, my last rotation, I came here to uh, to China. That was May. That was January January first of 2008 and I've been here since and it's been it's been an experience so I, I, I say I say two things I say IBM brought me here but my my, my father in my area my whole, whole life talking about you are a citizen of the world you need to travel the world go abroad that's what got me here oh that's good that's good that's good yeah shout out to dad <laughs> <laughs> now, I think you mentioned some, some of the challenges right yeah. Mm-hmm. The, 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 cha- okay, so the challenges in China, you know, to be honest with you, compared to what I dealt with in the U.S., the challenges in China were chicken feed. You know, um, at that time, in, in South China and North China are very different. South China, um, kind of similar to the U.S., I don't want to talk negative, but um, less education in, in, in South. Um, okay. Meaning, that uh, Shenzhen, China, is a migrant city. So, so they had, say, 10 million people, probably 9 million people travel from another city to work because they're very big on manufacturing. Your cell phones, your TVs, all those things are built in Shenzhen. It means, though, that the, the people working in, in, the, in the factories are coming from very, very small town, countryside. Um, yeah. Really, really, really countryside. So they may not have even finished high, finished high school. 
Okay. So the educational level is very, very low. And all they know about black people is what they see on TV. And, you know, everybody, every, everybody who's Chinese is Chinese. Does, does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> Whereas in the U.S., if you can be American, you can be black, you can be Asian, you can be Indian, you can be African, and just and you can be European, but you're still American. In China, everybody Chinese is Chinese. So with their mentality, they believe one people comes from one land. So what they see on TV says, okay, if you're white and you, you come from Europe, oh. if you're white, you come from the United States. If you're Indian, you come from India. If you're black, you come from Africa. That's it, because in their oh. country, it's all one. It's all one race. So when you so for the, for the first few years, I had to get used to everybody assuming that, that I come from Africa, which is not a bad thing. But I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I was born in Africa. I was born right. somewhere else. So I recall one time at Starbucks, um, some, one girl saying, "Where are you from?" I said, "U.S." She goes, no, you're black. You came from U.S. And you're from Africa, non-fake, non-fake, which is South Africa. Okay. And yeah, so, so those, those sort, of, sort of things um, happen a lot. But I don't call those things um, racist commerce. That's more from ignorance. Gotcha, so, right, exactly, yeah. Right, so I didn't really see a lot of racial um, issues here in China. They do exist, um, for example, if, they want to hire teachers, and teaching is the number one profession in China for foreigners. They always want white teachers first. They want white teachers to teach um, American English. Uh, they feel parents uh, want to deal with whites because that's a, that's a better color. And again, that goes from what we see on TV and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. those little challenges there. Um, but I, I've never had anything, any major, major issues uh, of being here in China. Uh, in the US, it's different. But, yes. <laughs> you know, and, the, and the police here, first of all, the police here typically don't carry guns. Oh. Which, which just de-escalates. Everything. <laughs> which, right. <laughs> yes. You yeah. got to use those hands over there. Yeah. And, 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 and their, their um, main focus is to negotiate. Right? So if there's a car accident, right, um, or conflict in the street, when the police come, they don't want to arrest anybody. They're going to say, how can we negotiate right here? If, if it's a small car accident, you pay the other person who, 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 you know, they'll listen. That's okay. You're wrong. You pay him some money. And everything is resolved right there. So they're here to negotiate, not necessarily to, to arrest people. And it's, um, it, it's, it's so, so strange. So strange seeing that. But I'll tell oh. you, yeah, I, I, had, I had police sirens, and my butt doesn't clench up. Back in the U.S., I had police sirens, and, and maybe for a second, like, you know, just, I, I clutched exactly. a little. Exactly, <laughs> right, right. But nothing here, so it, it's, um, it's been very peaceful. Oh, that's a good word. We wow. need peace in the U.S. <laughs> that's a good word. Yeah. Um, so that really, you really slid right into the next question about your views on racial and social injustice since you moved abroad. So you really kind of hit on some things and that really has showed us that there can be a different way. There is a different way to really handle and cooperate and negotiate with one another and not, you know, allow the race thing 
to really separate us or cause discord. So that was good. But is there something else in, in your opinion concerning the racial social injustices that you want to speak on? Well, in China, mm -hmm. uh, I think I was lucky because I came over here with IBM and IBM is a very established, excellent company. So people I interact with, they know that. Um, and I carry myself a certain way. Uh, I, can't, I try to carry myself, I try to be oblivious to some uh, racial BS, so to speak. Yeah. I don't see that. We have some young folks here, um, early 20s, who come to teach English, and they have a harder time. Now, I think it's because they're a little, um, I don't want to say that millennial, they haven't had to deal with as much racial stuff as perhaps some older people have. Correct. Um, and come from, from the U.S., um, having to deal with it. So then being over here, it's sort of like you know how to manage, you know how to navigate, you know how to, if you hear something, you don't react. Whereas 20 years ago, I may have reacted. So there are some, some racial undertones and things here. Um, but again, if you know how to carry yourself, you'll, you'll, you'll be okay. And my circle is more professional. So uh, the people who I interact with, from China or from Europe or not, they have had opportunity to travel to the U.S. They've had opportunities to interact with more foreigners. So they, they're a little more um, open. Yeah. Uh, in the U.S., it's very, very different. Um, I tell you, it's, it's whenever I go back to the U.S., literally, as the, when they say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're making our landing. Please uh, buckle your seats and don't move. I start to almost hyperventilate. Because I know, I know, I know for a fact, once this plane lands, it's different. Because here, white, uh, white Americans here treat you, black Americans here, as, as, as part of the team. Because here we're foreigners, right? We're one group called foreigners. Okay. And there are some non-blacks here who spend time with you, get to know you, that wouldn't do that in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Right, and because here, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're in, in Shanghai, you may know 15, 20 foreigners um, from all different shades and colors, maybe from Europe or whatnot, but you yeah. really want to talk to your American friends. And, and here, it doesn't matter if they're black, purple, whatever. You want to talk to your American friends. You want to talk about football. You want to talk about this <laughs> and that, right? Mm -hmm. But the same folks wouldn't necessarily interact back in the U.S., so you have to sort of get your mind ready. When I, when I go back to the U.S., I know for a fact it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a different situation. Yeah. Um, I've talked about my, my wife is Chinese. And I told her, look, if we ever get pulled over by the police, don't say a word, okay? Wow. I told her, don't, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, we have a young, a young boy now, 10 months old. I told her, I said, look, this young man here, as he, as he gets older, He's gonna be viewed in the U.S. as a as a growing weapon. That's it. Mm. So I'm told you, be very very careful. Have a conversation, and I've had to sit down. So when we had the Ahmad Aubrey video, my wife had this, I sat her down. And I told her to watch it. Yeah, and everything. And she's you know because again in China, they don't really understand what's taking place. They know that black people are being treated a certain way. But they also know that the U.S. is a very violent country. So to them, it gets lost. They don't know, understand that it's really just, just toward Blacks. So I've had to educate her on 
some of the history. But I, I tell people, the, outside of the U.S., the way the world looks at what African Americans are going through in the U.S. Mm-hmm. is the same way that Americans think about the Syrian war, the war in Syria. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like, I'll read about it. Yeah, won't even finish the article. Next thing. They right, really that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. They really care. Yeah. Wow. That is, wow. So your your wife, when she saw the video, I mean, what what was her emotion? Was she, did she understand like your son, as you already stated, like um, in America, he will be viewed almost like a threat, but over there, he's a peaceful citizen. Like how was, I mean, what was her thoughts as, you know, of course she's not black. So what was her thoughts? Well, I think it's impossible for her to, to understand. Uh, completely, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, quite frankly, you have to have something happen to you to, to understand it. That's you true. Have to, you have to grow up in that, in, in that environment. Now, she'll talk about the, the, the Hong Kong, the Hong Kong protest and what's taking place in Hong Kong. And, you know, we have different, different views on that. Um, I told her that the Hong Kong protest is very peaceful compared to some protests that, that, that we've seen. <laughs> and to her, What's happening there is 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 is, is very sad. It, it is very sad. What's happening mm-hmm. in Hong Kong? So we try to use that to to talk about different okay. things. Okay. Still, it still doesn't really doesn't really really work. Full circle, um, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I told her, I said, above and beyond anything, you have to understand your son. Okay. You you have a black you have a black baby. You have a black son. Okay. And he's gonna get treated a certain way in the United States. Yes. Um, Hopefully he'll be treated okay, but yeah. he is going to be treated a certain way, and you must be ready for that. And so she gets kind of tired because any time anything happens, I, I show her a video or an article. So when um, the great George, George George Floyd came out, I woke up. I said, "Honey, I have a video." She goes, "I already saw it. I know what <laughs> happened. I know what happened. I feel I feel bad about that." But but what she wasn't ready for was. You know, the, the Ahmaud Arbery video, I watched, say, day one. Yeah. And, and I was fine. I was fine. I was a little, I was a little bit, can you believe this BS? But I was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, when I watched the Floyd video, I was, I was not fine. And I was not fine for a while. And mm-hmm. that was the first time her seeing me really being upset for a number of days. A number of days. And, and really, just, really just not even being able to explain, explain it. So I think now she really, and, and with the protest taking place, she really understands that this is something that's different and something yeah. that's very, very important. So I think now she's starting to understand a little more. Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to touch on that. Like, mm-hmm. with it being so different over there, I, I can't even imagine being able not to clinch up. Right, <laughs> right. Because I've been adapted to that culture yeah. so long. Um, you know, would we? Would you ever see a, a Ahmaud Arbery or a George Floyd case in China? Is that even? Is that just unheard of? Or it is. Well, I would say you'd never, you'd never see them. Um, you'd never see one getting shot because guns are illegal here. Um, if you if you get caught with a gun here, um, depending upon the type of gun, that uh, uh, jail forever or death penalty. Wow. So, yes. So, which is wonderful. It's wonderful, right? 
So you won't see guns here. Now, in some cities, police do carry guns. Um, if you have some really, I mean, but you go outside here, they don't have a gun. In Hong Kong, they have guns. Um, uh, but typically, police don't have guns in China. Uh, so you, you wouldn't see that here, but you will see things more subtle. For example, in Guangzhou, uh, which is in South China also, mm -hmm. after COVID-19, and actually before COVID-19, uh, so Guangzhou is the largest import-export area of China. So you have a lot of Africans who live there. And, and Africans have their little part of town also. And, and you know, Chinese people treat Africans very, very badly in that part of, of the country. Uh, reason being, you have, um, again, the only interaction most Chinese have with Africans is what they see on the news. Okay. And they paint a better picture of Africans. The news you get in the U.S., you get a better picture of Africans than the news you get here in China. In China, they're always showing Africans with the uh, in poor parts of town and you know, uh, yeah, that um, narrative. Yeah. If you if you if you I'm not sure how, you, how old you guys are, but when I was coming up, they showed Africa. They had little little little, little boys with pop bellies with flies in their eyes. Yep. yep. Right. So that's how they picture they paint the picture of Africans here. So a lot of Chinese think Africans are poor, um, uneducated. So so down there, you have a lot more issue. Um, in the bigger cities, the main cities, uh, Shenzhen, Beijing, uh, Shanghai, Africans have been here for school, university for years, can speak mm -hmm. Chinese fine. So up, they're treated differently here, but in the smaller cities, it's different. Um, during, during COVID, when China was, was, was saying, you know, we have no more internal cases, only import cases, if somebody from, from uh, Africa got sick, then everybody had to be tested from Africa. And, and they said, okay, we're gonna, in the city, we're gonna stop renting to Africans. So then- ah, Okay, that's what that was. Cause I saw that news report. Okay, so that's really what the narrative was. Cause it was almost like they were trying to kick black people out like that. That was the narrative that the news was pushing that China was doing. And that was, that was I would say probably 110% accurate. Oh. What okay. happened <laughs> Even if you had if you had an African tenant, and you heard somebody else from Africa got sick, well, you'll say, "Well, wow, all Africans are dirty. He'll probably get sick too," and then you would then kick him out too. He had a lease, one year lease, doesn't matter. Kick them out. Oh, so, so it was very it was very very bad. You see signs, restaurants will say, um, um, "No Africans allowed." Uh, hotels would say no Africans allowed. So you had a lot of Africans in the streets. So, so there, there was a very bad treatment of, of Africans. Now, um, going into the major cities, I, I can speak for Shenzhen and Shanghai. I've never felt relaxed <laughs> as I do being black here, because it's sort of like um, so. So down south, where people come from smaller cities, yeah, and, and there for work. A lot of them have never seen a black person face to face. So okay. when, they see you, when they see you, it's like, and they'll come and touch you, and they'll they'll, they'll take their cell phone and and try to take a little picture of you on a slide. You know <laughs> <laughs> and boyfriends will say, "Can you take a picture of my girlfriend?" And I'm like, "Are you serious?" Sure, you know. So it's very very different. Um, almost like you're you're in a cage or a movie star. But again, I was just about to say that you're famous over there. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, and then, but, but, but to be honest with you, 
for the first couple of years, it was hard to take because you're walking down the street and you'll see a young lady walking towards you. She'll turn to you, see, ah, and she's scared, right? Oh. oh yeah, because again, they've never seen it before. So it's very, very, a little baby mm-hmm. say, hey, Ren, hey, Ren, hey, Ren, which is black guy, black guy. So, awesome. but in the, in the larger cities, they just call you a, 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 a guelo, guelo, which is foreigner, mm-hmm. which, is, which, is, which, which, which is better. Um, but again, okay, I've yeah, been, I, I can hear that. It's better the other way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never felt this level of freedom in my life, um, and, and and that is that is freedom of not just from police, but when people look at me here, they may if they think I'm African, they may think I'm broke. They may think I'm having money, uh, but they don't think I'm going to rob them. They don't think I'm going to um, um, take their money. They don't right. think they don't think I'm a thug. Um, they're not crossing streets, right? They're not looking at me. They're not following me in the store. And I never realized how important that was until each time I go back to the U.S. I'm, right? I'm telling you, I know it's a, a reminder every time, right? Every single time, yeah. So when you, so just as a side note, when you come back to the U.S., uh, are where are your parents now? Are they still in uh, Kentucky, Louisville, or are they well, in? Well, well, hopefully they're up there. <laughs> both, both, both oh, my okay. Yeah, they, they passed. My dad passed in 2014. Oh, and so sorry. Okay. In 2003. So, yeah, a few, a few years ago. But my oh. family, the vast majority of my family is in the Washington, D.C. metro area because we all, we all went to Howard. I have one brother in Texas and um, some family in New York. Okay. Well, you got a nice variety, different places. Yeah. Actually, we got yeah. we got family in the same state. So it's, it's mm-hmm. yeah. all three. But, but the problem is, um, my family in Texas, they want to carry guns, and I'm like, man, man, because everybody's getting guns now, and I'm like, look, right. last thing we want is this to to get um, aggressive or violent, and 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 because if this gets violent, the black folk won't win. Because the aggressive white folk, Caucasians, um, they've been planning for this race war for years. Okay, right. they're ready. They are ready, right? So, so we, we're not. That's real. <laughs> it's real. It is. Yeah. So the one thing we have to do is understand that if you have a gun, understand what the gun regulations, the laws are in your house. Because if you have a gun elsewhere outside the house, you could get in trouble. If somebody is doing a home invasion. And they go, they, they leave your house, you can't shoot them, right? They must be in your house. So understand what those rules are if you're going to have a gun in your house. Of course, make sure you have a, a, a gun lock case safe that your kids can't get access to, which, which scares me. But I, I don't think yes. guns are going to go, but yes. yeah. yeah. I think about that too, because my husband, he, he used to be in law enforcement. So okay. he does have um, concealed care to carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always think about that too, because I'm like, cute. But <laughs> and, and just to even, you know, it, with everything that's happening, and I had my reasons for getting out of law enforcement, some things I saw. Um, I even now to this day, I look at um, ways in the event that something does happen, how can I protect myself legally? And there are things out there. Um, but it's just that I have, I, as a black man in America, I have to take extra steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, video, 
Um, I don't even, I don't even know what, but you have to have extra, 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 extra steps. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like extra, extra. Read all about it. <laughs> yeah. You got to have, you got to have a bullet hole in your arm or leg or something too, man. You got to have, you know, yeah, it's real. Steps. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, with your comment about just how everybody networks and collaborates, it leads us to our other question about. When you're thinking about which country does Af an African-American man or a black man have a better advantage for advancement? In your opinion, is it U.S. for advancement or in your country? Do you feel like, what do you think? I, first of all, that's a great, great, great question. And <laughs> I'm, going to assume, I'm going to assume you mean a career advancement. Correct. Um, yeah, career. Mm-hmm. I think you have to sort of kick in, kick in, in the door and be an entrepreneur, have your own company. I think that's really the only way you're going to be able to control your future. Um, I can't speak much on Canada because I was young when I left, but I know that in China, uh, most foreigners here work for foreign companies, maybe from an IBM or Facebook, the same companies that are in the U S in the U S there's definitely, I don't know if it's called a glass ceiling or a glass closet, but as you know, um, certain companies have a quota of how many people of color they're going to have in that. There you go. There you go. And if you have a black CEO, then that means that a lot of blacks will not be able to raise up because they've shown we have a black leader, so we don't need to have blacks come up because we have them, have them on top. Mm -hmm. Some who don't have that, they have to show they have diversity. So you may have opportunities to, to advance there. Yeah. Um, I think for, for black men, I think it's, it's extremely difficult in some companies to get legitimate advancements um, because you're going up against two things. You're going up against uh, white men mm -hmm. and women. And white men already have that network you know, they already have that path that's sort of set there. And white women, they check two boxes. They check that female box, right? Which allows them to show they have diversity as well. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's extremely difficult. Now, of course, you, you can also get there by merit. But I, yeah. think, I think that the easiest, easiest thing is to um, form your own company and control your own destiny. Because... A lot of times when we're the only white, excuse me, the only black person in, on a team or organization, there's more of a, of a um, magnifying glass on us. And I'll give you an example. When I was working for Ernst & Young uh, back in 1997, 98, we had, the, it had a survey. Um, you know, blind surveys are the ones where don't put your name on it, right? Mm -hmm. You want feedback. You want feedback. So, of course, they have a box that says race. It said African-American. Well, I'm Canadian, so I'm not African-American. Two weeks later, Colin, you didn't fill out your survey. I said, yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. They said, well, and how, how do they know that, right? right? They, shouldn't know, they shouldn't know that. So right. I, learned, I learned very early, whenever you're the only Af one or two African-Americans, and you're filling out surveys, giving feedback, be very, very careful. Be very, very yeah, careful. That's a because good point. 
Yeah, be very, very I hope careful. Y'all caught that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I've done those surveys, but I never thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, be, be, be very, very careful if you're going to be critical about the, the organization. Um, but I think it's important that you, you control your own destiny and you find ways to really, to really advance because everybody, every, I think everybody, it's not so much everybody's going to get passed over, but the relationships are different. So I'll give you one more example. Um, you know, do consulting. A lot of times you have opportunities or contracts outside of your home city. Mm-hmm. So you travel. So we had a, not a rule, but we had a thing, uh, three days a week, as a team, we'd always go out to eat together, and we we all go to a to a bar or something, and each person would, would pick one. If I didn't go, like let's say there's six of us, if I didn't go, and if one white person didn't go, so you have five white people, one black person, myself. Every every night, at least one white person didn't go for, for whatever reason. They had to yeah. study had, for whatever whatever reason, whatever whatever reason. I always went because I knew I had to. The first time I didn't go, next day, Colin, what's going on? You didn't come out last night. Yeah, it didn't feel like it. But Colin, hey, look, you got to be a team player. You, you got to be there. And I'm like, wait a second, man. If I don't go, they notice it because where is that one black guy? You know the one black guy who's not there. As <laughs> yeah, yeah. Black guy who's not there. Again, that taught me something, right? So I learned a lot from that experience. And I, that's when I knew that at some point I had to go in my own direction. Um, just, because, just because, you know, it's, it's hard work, but then yeah. dealing with the, the politics, right? The politics, that's what, the, the, what drives people batty, having to play that game in right. your job. Right, right. So, so I had to really, you know, find something else that was, that was more, um, I would say, even, even, even Steven. Right. And that's what led you to start your own life coaching. So you want to talk about the life coaching and just how is it having, you know, your clientele there in China? Yeah. And this is, I got to tell you, this is a great story because um, life coaching is, life coaching wasn't my, my dream, but life coaching was the gateway to really being able to excel in my dream. So luckily I was good in sports in high school, uh, uh, football and wrestling. And you know, so for a lot of Caribbean uh, families, when we think about going to college, we want to go to Howard University because to us, Howard, we want to go somewhere black. Um, my parents grew up in Jamaica and Jamaica's black, right? Ooh. So they wanted us to get that black education. <laughs> um, we want to get that in Louisville. So my older siblings, myself, my, all my older siblings went to Howard. So when it was time to go to college, I went to Howard, mm-hmm. but I was really in, in sports. I was really into sports and women and girls, sorry, in high school. <laughs> right. I didn't, right. I, no pun intended, right? But I, I, didn't say, I didn't say I was into school, though. So uh-huh. when I graduated, my GPA was very, very low. So had it not been for um, a wrestling coach, me being on a wrestling team and having a legacy there, I would not have gotten into Howard. Um, my application had to be reviewed several times. And they, they let me in at the last minute. That's very important because um, as a football captain and a wrestling captain, part of responsibility was to motivate your team before a big game. 
Yeah. And football, football is pretty easy. Football, you got 11 on 11. Um, motivated, there's a few, few guys who, who are already motivated. In wrestling, though, it's one-on-one. So if you have a guy who got his butt kicked for the last five matches, how do you motivate him to give his all? Yeah. But I found, I found a way to do it. And then, and then a little small thing, too. Have you guys heard of, of Steak and Shake restaurant? Yeah. 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 So I had a job at Steak and Shake my junior and senior summers. Okay. And I was, I was a waiter. And I learned that the better you talk to people, the bigger your tip is. Yeah. Doesn't matter if the food is bad, but the better you talk to people, the bigger your tip is. Good so I learned how, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I learned how to really talk to people, use what I say to sort of win their hearts, influence their minds, so to speak. So I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. When I first moved to the US, they put me in speech class because Jamaican parents, my accent was a little different. Um I, I Canadian accent a little different. So it put me in speech class because I got so nervous in the U.S., I developed a stutter. So I had a stutter, I had a lisp, I still have my lisp. Um, so for a couple of years, I was in that speech class. So people who could speak clearly, get up in front of a room, speak strong, speak clearly, always fascinated me. So I had a strong desire to be able to speak publicly excellently. Yeah. I always worked on that. So now, going to college, um, I learned how to talk to people to get, you know, to, to, to win their hearts. Um, I learned a little bit how to motivate people, but I was really intrigued with motivating people because that allowed them to do something. Um, Colin, I see this girl. I'm scared to go talk to her. Man, you better go talk to her before somebody else does, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the motivating people and inspiring people became a really a lifelong, and public speaking, a lifelong dream of mine. And it never left me. So, mm-hmm. so now we fast forward, you know, from, I graduated Howard in 1995, fast forward to 2006, when I started working for IBM. Um, I never, you know, we, get, we have dreams, we get busy in work, and our dreams sort of go to the wayside. But luckily, um, I never lost my passion to speak, my passion to motivate people. And people would come to me for, for motivation. Carl, I'm not feeling good today, yada, yada, yada. Help fire me up, um, help inspire me. So that was something I, I really, really enjoyed doing because um, helping folks, well, let, let me say this. Coming from outside US to, to the US, we never had that slave mentality. Mm. What I mean by that is we never had that, you can't do this, you can't do that, because that wasn't part of how we came, came up. It's big here in the U.S. So I've always had, so I've always been big on, you can do anything. You really, really can. Now, maybe I was ignorant and maybe I was wrong, but that's what I felt. And then when Obama, right. became, president, when Obama became president, I was like, you really can do anything you want. <laughs> I, never, I, never, I never thought I'd see a black president in my life. Never. Right. right. So the only other thing I want to see, I want to see an alien, right? I've seen a black president, Aliens, right? <laughs> so, so, so I'm going to bring the story to, to, to your question. So for years and years, I've had the ability to, to motivate people. Um, in, in 2015, I was asked by IBM to volunteer to do some internal coaching, coaching teams, coaching leaders. And I was like, what is coaching? Um, and volunteer, you mean this and my job? But 
it's okay, let's try it. And it changed everything. Because I'll tell you, Brianna, I can guarantee you, you talk to me for an hour, I can motivate the hell out of you. I can motivate you to run through a brick wall on Monday. On Tuesday, I'm so good at motivating. On Tuesday, you will again try to find a brick wall to run through. <laughs> by Friday, by Friday, you ain't, you ain't running. You're not running. By Friday, you're back to your old, right? So motivation doesn't last sometimes. Motivation doesn't last. So what I found with people who are trying to motivate, they really, I was motivating them to feel good, but not to reach their goal. Ooh. What coaching did, what coaching did, because coaching, as you know, is a partnership between two people, the coach and the client, where the coach's responsibility is to help the client discover ways to reach their goals and to stay with them throughout that journey. So, so wait a second. You're telling me I can fire you up, Brianna. I can fire you up. And now I can coach you until you reach your goal. That was a game changer because now I can do both pieces, get you going and get you all the way through. So once I learned how to do that, um, and, and I saw the, how it changed people's lives, um, it was tremendous. So I, I changed my team within IBM and became a, a, a coach in IBM, coaching leaders and coaching teams. And it was, it was beautiful. However, there was one, one conflict, one conflict. Um, so Q, if you said, you know, if we're having a session, and you said, you know, Colin, I'm trying to do A, B, and C, accomplish A, B, and C. And I knew for a fact that, wow, that is great, but you can't do that in this company. Mm. It's time. Because I'm paid by the company. I work for the company. So I must, I must coach you to have the best outcome for the company, not for you. Because that's who I work for, and I must be loyal to who I work for. So that was, that was a little conflict. So um, I, I battled with that. Um, I knew that I was very good at motivating. I was getting better at coaching. So my job was moving from Shanghai to Beijing, and I was not going to make that that move because they were two totally different cities, um, totally, very different cities. And I had about a six-month window when I, I was, I was warned about that. Mm -hmm. So I remember calling my wife and telling my wife, honey, my job's going to, to move soon. And I don't think I'm going to apply for another job. I think I'm going to go for it. And she knew what going for it meant because this is my, she, she knows my, my, my passion. And her response really, really just solidified everything. She said, go for it. Right. Wow. And she knew she knew that man, we ain't getting no more paychecks for a long time. Right. She <laughs> <laughs> still said, go for it. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you, when when you really want to change your career and make, make a change, having your spouse's support, it is so important. It is so critical. Because she could have said, How are we gonna get paid? Right? Well, you can't do that because you know we wanna have kids we got to pay these bills but she said go for it and that just relieved one one area of pressure so um I, I left ibm in march of 2018 18 yeah 2018 and started my coaching practice and it's been it's been i want to say it's been a wonderful road it's been very it's been very interesting interesting but, right yeah. <laughs> 
But any, any, you know, it's just like starting any business. And a lot of coaches forget something. A lot of coaches forget that this is a business also. Mm-hmm. So as, as good as you are coaching, you must be just as good building a business. So right. it's, been a, it's been an interesting road. And, and COVID really allowed us to, to, to sort of um, pivot our, our coaching style and some of the things we do. But I'll come back to that later. I want to make sure I answer your question. So that's what got me into, into coaching. Well, that's awesome. It yeah. Is, it is. I mean, wow. Yeah. That's all I can say is wow. That's great <laughs> that you were able to use a, a platform where you were once a part of a company they put you in a position to basically prepare you for your next level, which was entrepreneurship. I mean, that's really good how that worked out. And just to hear the, you know, I think so many times people often go through that, that glass ceiling, Mm -hmm. as you said. And um, I mean, I know even with my past history, every company I left, I went as far as I could go. And, um, it was kind of where I had to choose my own values right. for the companies. So, right. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because two things, um, they say people don't leave companies, they leave management, you know, when they know management doesn't support them, that's when they leave. And in the U S um, here's a little piece of information. Uh, what day well, was a question for you guys. What day do people have the most heart attacks? Monday. 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 Yep. Because people are going to jobs that they hate. So, so going to work is literally killing people. Literally killing no, people. Yeah. yeah. So it's important that you're working a job that you, you feel good about, you feel valued. And let me add one more thing. About two, two and a half years ago, when I was still with IBM, I was watching YouTube. And YouTube, there was this woman on TV, and she had some paper. I always saw it with her hand and paper, and she was crinkle, 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 million views, okay? Mm. Getting paid for this, right? Another video, <laughs> somebody just opening a box, right? Opening a box. And I said, wait a second, people getting paid for this? And it hit me. You can, you can get paid for doing almost anything in the U.S., in the, in the world. <laughs> right. You, you, can shovel, you can shovel poo-poo, get paid. You can walk dogs, get paid. You can go outside on a street corner, sing, get paid. And I said, wait a second. If you can get paid to do almost anything, I'm going to get paid to do one thing. I'm going to get paid to do what I've always wanted to do, that's speak. I'm going to become my own product. And that's when things shifted also. I said, I am no longer going to put, put my hard work for another organization, selling software, selling this, selling that. I am going to put my money and bet on myself. What can that, I, get, I get paid by what comes out of my mouth. And I think it is so beautiful because one of the only things I can control in this world is what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think whenever you can find a, a career or, or a passion and, and find a way to get paid doing that, your life changes. Because, you know, on my side, I like helping people, but it's not so much me just getting that, that pat on the back, which I do like. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking with somebody, and you see that they get, oh. The uh-huh. aha moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the aha moment. And when they succeed, and they come back a year later, they call, you know what? You really helped me do A, B, and C. I now become part of their success story. And I love it. 
Maybe, maybe it's ego, but I, I love it. I love being part of somebody's success story. That's so, good. Yeah, I love it. So, so, so being able to re realizing that in this world, you can get paid to do almost anything. If you have a passion, go for it. Because odds are, there's a way to get paid for it. Now, the road to get paid may be, but if you keep on and keep trying and keep on and keep trying, you can't reach it. You will get paid eventually. <laughs> yeah, I have my own media company, so I understand that process as well. I'm a business coach, so I definitely okay. understand walking with someone, getting yes. them to that point, yes. having to kind of backtrack at times, but they're going to get there. <laughs> so, yeah, and me and my husband just became life coaches, so we okay. haven't okay. fully tapped into that yet, but we're still developing. So this is good to hear from one coach to another. And <laughs> my journey is a little bit more funny because I've, um, I'm one of those kids that grew up real quick. Uh, by seven, I was already doing 20 year old stuff already. Paying okay. so, bills, shopping, <laughs> all of that. <laughs> so I have always had to, as a kid, it, it would kind of creep me out because people would always ask me my opinion. And I'm like, I'm younger. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't make sense, but I give them the advice and they mm -hmm. move on about their day. And I'm like, this just doesn't make sense. <laughs> but, you know, fast forward now, I see that a lot of it was just prep for now and walking into a new, you know, a new destiny. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's how it happens. I call it, I call it organically, right? Ooh. Some of the things that you're, you're taught, you're taught and you know, when you want to think about what is my passion, what do I really like doing, call your friends from high school, right? Ask them if they remember you and what you were about, what you love doing. Because a lot of times we forget what our passion was, but that's where we start developing our passion. We get to college, man, and we start, we grow up, and we're kind of, kind of busy, but call some of your old friends, and they'll tell you what you should do, you know? Mm -hmm. They'll say, man, you've always been good at this. Or, and, and man, you were no good at this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People so, will remind you of your good and your bad days. <laughs> and as you guys know, when you go into it, you have to have what I call, I call an exceptional amount of, of belief in yourself, confidence. I call the Kanye West confidence, right? Which is unreasonable, right? But you have to believe it. And only you have to believe it. Right. That doesn't mean anybody else thinks. Yeah. You don't need no support with his type of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Yes. Um, that's a great leeway and segue into our final question, which is what are some words of encouragement that you would give to us here in America? Because, I mean, we are really experiencing a lot of, what's the word? I yeah, that's the, and the the pot has finally boiled over. I guess that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let, let let me answer. I want to just, just if I can, just share a little bit about my coaching. Go ahead, uh, yeah. So my coaching, I specialize in three areas: uh, career development, personal development, and what, what I call real relocation coaching, which is like expat coaching. Because here you have a lot of people from other countries who come here and try to integrate themselves into the culture, and over the last two weeks, well, we also did COVID coaching. And COVID coaching was, was you know, the, the, the outbreak took place here in China first. Right. So we didn't have any news to say, okay, here's what's coming down the pike. Everything was, was, was brand new. And my family and I were traveling 
in China, came back home because we didn't want to get caught outside of the, outside of the city. When we first got back here uh, late in January, I called a few clients and said, look, I need us to, to put a pause for now because right now my main focus is understanding what's happening to keep my family safe. They were fine with that. They agree with that. About two, three weeks later, I started getting a lot of phone calls from new clients, um, colleagues, ex-colleagues, friends saying, look, Colin, we've been on, we've been on uh, house, what's it called, homestay, lockdown yeah. for two, two weeks. I am about to take my spoon and shove it through my wife's chest. I'm about to throw my kids off the balcony. Help me, right? Because people are now doing something they've never done, which is staying inside all day. Um, and I can't get any work done. So it was a great opportunity as a coach to help uh, people to learn how to maintain the proper mindset and, and household during that time. So we called it COVID coaching. And that was, so we're talking to people how, about how to maintain your relationships, how to have a strong mindset, how to um, respect people's personal space, how to interact with the children during the time, how to be productive when, when you have to work. And we framed this, um, uh, we framed this in terms of COVID, right? So in, in COVID times, how to do A, B, and C. Yeah. But really, this wasn't about COVID. Ooh. If your relationship had, had cracks in it, all COVID did was put a magnifying glass on it. If you weren't able, if you weren't as productive in your office, well, now your home is going to be the same thing, just a little worse. So these weren't really uh, COVID things. But COVID just amplified them. Amplify, yeah, yeah. 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 That's so a we good point. <laughs> so in early February, my family started asking me, Hey Colin, how are you doing? You're over there in China with COVID. Are you guys safe? So I do emails every day. And I decided no more emails. Let me do some videos. So I did some videos. And in the videos, I said, We're safe. Yada yada yada. The feedback I got was, okay, glad you're safe. How do I disinfect? How do I stay safe? All these questions, what did you guys do? So I did, I, did a, I did a webinar. And from the webinar, I mean, you mentioned, Brianna, that you, are, you do you production. Um, these guys reached out from, to me from Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, Buzz Media 365, and said, Colin, you're doing some great stuff. Would you mind uh, doing some public service announcements about this? Now we're in March, and this is where in the U.S., Things are starting to get, New York is blowing up right now. California is blowing up right now. Right. And I said, yeah. I said, look, I have no problem because luckily myself and some other coaches here had, had two things going for us. One, we just made it through the, the lockdown time here in, in, in China, meaning we know how to protect yourself. We know how to manage the, 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 the amount of news we're taking in. And we're coaches. So we know how to help people get through. Yeah. So I told him, I said, look, let's do it. I want to do 30 episodes in 30 days. So we, we did the called COVID 30-30. So for 30 days, 30 episodes. So every day, new episode. And the videos are on, on Facebook, Facebook and, and Facebook Live, on Facebook and YouTube, and, and, and on my website. That was very difficult. <laughs> I can <laughs> imagine. <laughs> A video every day? 30 days. What the <laughs> What that meant was I had to talk about it every day. Now, luckily, I had, I had a coach with me for most episodes. We do sort of an interview. We had a relationship coach. We had a mindset coach. We had different coaches who specialized in different things. And that was a great 
great opportunity because we were giving tips and insights to people who are hungry for that news, right? Mm -hmm. And our information was vastly different from what's on TV. On TV, it's okay, America, last night, a uh, hundred more people, people died, a uh, thousand more got infected. Stay tuned for new numbers. That's it. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> every day, every day, every day. Our videos were, here's, here are some, some tips to uh, create an environment where you can communicate with your kids. If your kids are always loud and they're quiet, find out what's wrong, right? Have conversations, right? Um, so we covered a lot, lot of different topics. And that was, that was a great opportunity. But you guys are coaches. And you know, to coach, it's one-on-one -on -one or group, but you have to be, yeah. you have to be interacting. So these videos are more tips and insights. And we said, what can we do? What can we do as coaches to really, really, really help? So my thing from, from the beginning was the people who are, I apologize, I'll give you a long answer, right? <laughs> my, 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 from, from the very beginning, here in China, we had a lot of medical workers who got sick. They're on the front line. So yeah. due to that, they had to fly in medical workers from all over China to go to Wuhan. In the U.S., it was the same thing. Medical workers not having proper equipment, um, people who could not uh, take time off, delivery people, grocery store workers. In a lot of cases, those are people of color who could not stop working. So in my mind, I'm like, look, how can we help people? But I also want to help people of color. Uh, and knowing people of color don't go to counseling, uh, even though we need some of the most counseling, don't go to counseling, um, don't ask for help. So we said, let's do another initiative. The first one was 30 for 30. Let's do a 40 for 40. So what I did was I recruited 40 life coaches globally. I'll volunteer at least one hour a week for, for four weeks, giving them 40 coaches, 40 hours a week, free coaching, free life coaching. Now, this is not the, the, um, the, the free session where I'm going to coach you, we're going to talk to you, coach you. In the last 10 minutes, I'm going to try to sell you a package. No, it's not that. It's not that. This is we're coaching you, coaching you, coaching you, so that once the call is over, you have some, you, you've identified some methods and tools to help sort of balance your life, right? To yeah. make sure you have purpose during this time, to help you improve your, your relationships during this time. And we started that um, early May. Oh, and okay. Got good, good feedback. And I, I want to I want to talk about that because we extended that now to the end of June, and this is 100% free coaching, life coaching, and we have we have coaches all over the world. So if your audience is interested, which I hope they are, to get some free coaching, um, if you lost if you lost your job, um, if you're nervous, if you have anxiety, call a coach. Uh, we're not therapists, but we can help guide you on some tips on how to improve your life. Um, if you're just stuck call a coach and this is 100% free. So um, the website, www.oligye.com. When you get there, you can navigate to, to the proper, proper page. But again, go there and, 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 and make, a, make, make an appointment. So um, I believe going back to your question, it was um, what, would I, what, what advice would I give? In, mm -hmm. in, in, in Just time? to encourage everyone, yeah. Right. If you, if you think about the double whammy we have right now, the first, the first one was the coronavirus, COVID. The second one is the, I get tired of saying racial issues. The second one is the 
what criminal justice BS taking place in the U.S. Can I say that? <laughs> that's, that's, that's just a say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a double whammy, and, and and both are affecting everybody. The coronavirus, COVID nineteen, is affecting most countries, and luckily, this with Greg Lloyd is uh, so yeah George George Lloyd, George Floyd excuse me, and and, and um, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Carter. Taylor, excuse me, is affecting everybody. They're protesting in Europe. They're protesting in Africa. They're protesting in South America. So these things are impacting people all over the world. Yeah. If you fast forward to six months from now, a year from now, and think back to today, what will you have accomplished? What will you have achieved? How has your life changed? People, during COVID, people are saying they want, they wish they can go back to the old lifestyle. Well, let me tell you something. Your old life wasn't that great in a lot of cases. We still had racism. We still had global warming. We still have people who are working jobs they don't like because they have to. We still have people who aren't living the life they want. You, right now, have an opportunity to guide your future. Why not, why not make a promise to yourself to start to improve your life? Even if your life is great, improve it some more. Why? So when you look back at this time, you had purpose, right? You made a difference because for the for the COVID, learn and learn online, learn something new, Ooh. try something new. You have time to to make sure that you that you are accomplishing something. For the racial side of it, <laughs> what are you doing to improve things? You know, and, and I tell you one thing: because we have so many Caucasians. Uh, involved now in a protest. When black folk protest, we protest very good, very peacefully. Mm -hmm. Then we go back home and we get back into our old life. When white people protest, when they go back home, they contact a congressperson, right? They, they make change how they vote, where they spend their, spend their money. So hopefully now we can take some lessons, uh, whether you're white or you're black, and do things now to make things better. Yeah. Don't just, don't and don't wait for somebody to, to invite you to, to some group and just do something. Individually do something. So my, my advice is to fast forward six months from now and then say, say, say what they want to accomplish in six months and then start doing it. Don't wait until the next Netflix series is over. Start right now today. Because <laughs> one, on the coronavirus side, it's still there. Yes, it is. Yeah, keep your family safe, right? Keep your family safe, work on a project together, and get smarter. On the other side, with the, with the racial stuff, again, keep your family safe, right? But now do things to be part of the solution. So that's my long-winded answer, <laughs> answer to that. Okay. This has been such an awesome episode, Mr. Thompson. You are amazing. This is so cool, and we are just so impressed with what we have been motivated, I, educated. I think <laughs> the, the proper word is um, we feel a bit more empowered in culture and yes. got some culture diversity now. Yes, you gave yes. us a culture diversity training for sure. <laughs> Much better than Starbucks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know, we're still giving them money, right? We're still giving them <laughs> Mm -hmm. I don't. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> and it's funny that we're, we just, we make that comment and I, I've been noticing how, like you said, after this, will we really follow our dollar? Will we really follow law, you know, mm -hmm. to, to make efforts to change what has always been broken? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hope I hope we do. I I hope it could be. I think this one is different. Um, yeah. and and I've been do, talking to a lot of um uh, Caucasians about their feelings and what they're mm -hmm. going through. Because, because let me add real quick. Um, uh, I have I have also pivoted on some of my coaching because as I mentioned, I do expat and relocation coaching, but I am now coaching white people in, in the U.S. on how they can make a difference. Because a lot, of, a lot of them don't have anybody black they, they can ask questions to. A lot of them said, you know what? I feel guilty because of the fact that I didn't, I didn't do anything because I ignored it. And how can they really make a change? And, and not just make a change overnight. How can they really try to change who they are? Yes. So part, part of my coaching now also is, I, I call it cultural diversity coaching. There you what, go. What that is, is, is helping, help, first of all, if you're going to go talk to your black coworker, whom you guys are cool, we'll go to lunch together, uh, maybe happy hour, but never the, week, never the weekends, never each other's houses. Here's how you want to approach them, right? Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to just ask question, question, question. You want to start out by saying, um, I want to have a conversation because I want to achieve this. I want to make a difference. I want to learn what I can do to help. Don't just say, is it true that, um, that that you get nervous so is it true is it true that people follow you because right you know, that's not helping us just because just because just because you're getting woke now right doesn't mean that we should take time away from us trying to help our brothers and sisters and keep our mind focused to make you feel better right exactly so how, how they have a conversation is very very important and i think as black people we have to do that because when white people want to help their help does make differences it mm -hmm. really really does so we want to make sure for the ones who want to help let me help let me teach you how to help so so you know as as, as luckily my coaching has sort of pivoted to help people do that as well because there are some white people whom just want to come over and give you a hug and say girl i feel your pain i feel your pain take a picture Put on Facebook, <laughs> woke, right? Now, now they're woke, right? So you want to make sure that the people who really want to help know how to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's good. So you guys that are listening, please be sure to take advantage of the free coaching. We're going to put yes. that information in the description box. And Q, did you want to add anything? Um, I can just say, you know, I, I look forward to hopefully taking some coaching myself. I always think that there's always room to improve. And, you know, myself personally, I've been in furlough from both jobs has gave me, I'm, I'm grateful for it because it's given me a lot of time to think and actually be clear on some things. And um, so I definitely, there's always room for improvement. Mm -hmm. So I plan on. Yep. And we appreciate you waking up with us. We heard the birds and we heard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually, I'm usually I'm usually up, so so it's not too too bad. Especially when I do these podcasts, um, the best time for me is, is, is the morning. So I'm, I'm usually up. Yeah, so it's fine. Yeah. So and I I, 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 I definitely enjoyed this. I, I told my wife last night this is going to be my first 
uh, interview with a couple, and finally, it would be a black couple too. Sorry. <laughs> Yes. Well, tell her we said hello. Yeah. And, and your little baby. <laughs> All right. But thank you again, Mr. Thank Thompson. You. And listen, everybody, this has been another episode of Resilient See Love. Now. See you next Thanks. time. See you next time. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Resilient Love Podcast. We wanted to take this opportunity to also let you know that you can help us by committing to a monthly fee of $0.99, cent, $2.99, or $9.99. Those contributions help us to keep this movement of resilient love going. Blessings to all listeners and subscribers. Thank you all. Resilient, resilient love. love.